We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you. Because by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. Please be seated. In preparation for tonight, preparation for this weekend, uh, I've been reading a book by Esau Macaulay called Lent, The Season of Repentance and Renewal. In the section on Good Friday, this day, he wrote, the cross is not just something to discuss, interpret, and understand. It is something to behold. We must see the act of love set before us again and again. The crucifixion story bears a repeating. What does it mean to behold the cross? To gaze upon it with love, with worship, with reverence, to adore this act of, of torture and execution on this aptly and ironically named day on the church calendar, Good Friday. I would say if we are to do this well, then keeping company with the Gospel of John is a good start. See, traditionally, each of the four Gospels and their writers have been associated with a different symbol, a different piece of artwork in the Christian tradition, and the symbol for John, the evangelist, has been the eagle. Because the eagle soars high above, making sense of everything it sees below it. It was even believed at one time in the church uh, that eagles could stare directly into the sun and their eyesight would not be harmed. That's what we need to do today, tonight to get up above, to get a bird's eye view of the cross, to take in the bigger picture of this event, standing like a signpost in the middle of history at the intersection of the ages. We need someone to help us stare into the bright light of the sun, the blazing glory that we see as we contemplate our Lord upon this blessed wood. Friends, our task tonight is not first and foremost to feel sorry for Jesus, but to gather around the cross together with gratitude, with humility, to adore, to behold our Lord, to remember how he stretched out his arms on the hard wood of the cross, drawing us to himself and drawing us within reach of his saving embrace. We actually said in our Palm Sunday liturgy at St. Thomas, we greet him as our king. Though we know his crown was a crown of thorns and his throne a cross. From the very beginning of the Gospel of John to the end, John the Eagle takes flight. He wants us to know this one he calls the Word the one who is divine, the one who is the word made flesh, Jesus, the incarnate Lord. Right in the very beginning of chapter one and verse 14, he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen, we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, 
full of grace, full of truth, and from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Behold. I want to actually key in on that little word, behold. Because I think if you actually trace that through the entire Gospel of John, you'll be able to make sense of this story. You'll be able to make sense of who John is revealing to us, who Jesus is. What is death meant for us and for our salvation? Just tracking that little word, behold. Little breadcrumbs that John the evangelist eagle has sprinkled throughout his gospel. Each one, a blinking neon arrow saying, look, see, take notice, pay attention, behold. This is what I'm trying to show you. Who Jesus is, what he has done for us and for our salvation in all of its gory glory. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you because by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. The first time we see the word behold appear in the gospel of John is in John 1, 29. The very beginning. The next day, he, John the baptizer, saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Another time he says, behold, the Lamb of God. First and foremost, John wants us to know that our Savior is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, Fleming Rutledge, who is an Episcopal priest, uh, says many good church-going people probably don't entirely understand that this really means that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. The purpose of this death is to take away the sin of the world. It's connected. His death and sin. And it's worth asking, I would say maybe particularly on Good Friday, uh, not just why did Jesus have to die, but why such a terrible form of death? I mean, John the Baptist, he dies in the Gospels, right? Do you remember how John the Baptist died? Beheading. Uh, none of us want to go, but if you've got to go, that's not a bad way. It's quick. He would barely know it had happened. And it was done to make a point. Why didn't Jesus get beheaded? Why wasn't he given poison? Why the scourging, the flogging? Why the mocking? Why the rejection? Why the cross? The worst form of execution ever devised. Why the cross? And, I mean, this is all perfectly in order as we read through the gospel. I mean, this is a perfectly legal death at the hands of these sadistic uh, artists of cruelty, Rome, after Jesus is betrayed, not just by his friend Judas, but the entire nation, all of the religious leaders, everyone who should have welcomed him as the long-awaited Messiah, and betrayed and rejected by you and me, each in our own way. Why did he have to die such a gruesome form? John would say because it's connected to sin. It's connected to our sin. 
St. Anselm of Canterbury, um, almost 1,500 years ago, said of this day, you have not yet begun to consider the gravity of sin. In our most honest moments, we find ourselves like St. Paul in Romans 7, realizing I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Esau Macaulay says, I am not separate from the events that happen on this day. I'm caught up in them. Not merely as a believer or an attender participating in a liturgy, but as a transgressor who sins alongside the misdeeds of so many others made the cross necessary. It's this cross that forces us to take seriously our sin and those of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Last night at our Maundy Thursday service, uh, Father Joe highlighted the incredible pattern of the Last Supper, that final meal Jesus shared with his friends where he took, blessed, broke, and gave. Took, blessed, broke, and gave. Well, in the same way that Jesus took up the bread and the wine, here he will take up and take away our sin. And another part of John's gospel, and the gospel is so rich with detail, Jesus says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. He even goes on to say, no one takes it from me. Friends, you realize that Jesus is completely in control. During everything that happens that we celebrate on this week. Everything that occurred on Monday, Thursday, last night, everything that occurs on Good Friday, Jesus is completely in control and permitting it to occur. Leslie Newbegin, who was a missionary to India from England, said John omits any details which might suggest pity for the victim. On the contrary, he views the crucifixion as an enthronement, a coronation, a royal culmination of the life and ministry of Jesus, a victorious, joyful, obedient act of love and glory. Indeed, the next time that John the Eagle sprinkles this little word, behold, it's in chapter 12, the Palm Sunday moment, quoting Zechariah 9. Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. The only other time this little word behold appears, it's not pointing at Jesus, but it's revealing the depth of his character and who he was. It's at the death of his friend Lazarus. And these folks come to Jesus and say, behold, the one that you love is ill. Take notice, pay attention, he's ill. When Lazarus dies, before Jesus revives him, he weeps. And the crowd says, behold, how he loved him. 
the great love that Jesus has for his friends, the great love he has for you and me. Behold our Lord. And then there are two more occurrences, and they popped up in what text was reading for us. In the gospel, the passion gospel, behold the man. Behold your king. And it's a stark contrast. Chapter 1, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist, he is preaching that word. He is the prophet anointed by God, the greatest of prophets, to bear witness and point to Jesus, to show us the identity and mission and vocation of our Lord. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But now the prophet is Pilate. This brutal prophetic, pathetic puppet, Pilate. Twice in John 1, the Baptist has said, Behold the Lamb of God. Now Pilate gives us two more things to know before we see our Lord on the cross. Behold the man. Behold your king. With John, we were on religious ground. With Pilate, we're on the stone pavement of politics and power. After the shadowy treachery of Wednesday and Thursday, everything is brought into the open because we're supposed to see it. John wants to show it to us so that we can know what happened, that we can pay attention, that we can behold, that we can adore. And so at the end of 18, John 18, there's this Fascinating conversation between Jesus and Pilate. Pilate's role is, is chilling because he begins to dole out punishment to a man he doesn't believe deserves it just to placate the crowd. He could give a rip about justice. He could give a rip about Jesus. There's a mocking a cruel coronation, the crown of thorns, the robe, the staff, the smacking, the pulling of the beard. By the way, this is not isolated to Jesus. There's archaeological evidence at Roman prisons and garrisons. There's one in Jerusalem here at the stone pavement of Pilate. Etchings on the ground of a game a game that Roman soldiers played when they were bored to mock their prisoners. A game they played at the end. We might think of, if you're going to be executed, what are your last wishes? What's your last meal? How is there a shred of humanity extended? Theirs was the opposite. How is there a last mocking? And, and maybe they just had to dehumanize the person to, to do what they were about to do. But this happened all over the Roman world. They flogged the Lord. And when they flogged somebody, you knew it. They could barely stand. I mean, later, Jesus has to get someone to help him carry his cross because of the results of this flogging. And there are layers of irony, layers of glory that what they meant for evil bore witness to the truth. This is the king. And so when Jesus had been 
crowned with thorns and robed in purple, Pilate had him brought out before everybody and said, behold the man. Eke homo in Latin, of course. And there are several words that we can translate as man in the Bible. I don't want you to miss this. When Pilate says, behold the man, that's not focused on the gender of our Lord. It's focused on his type, his kind. Behold mankind. Behold humankind. It echoes all the way back to creation. When God said, let us make man in our own image. This is the perfect human person. This is humanity par excellence. This is someone perfectly embodying and reflecting and indeed incarnating the very glory of God. And this is how he's being treated. Behold the man. Behold humanity. Behold humankind. And don't miss, <laughs> this, is, this is on Friday, which in the Jewish reckoning would have been, what, the sixth day of the week. You look back at creation, what happens on the sixth day? Exactly that. Let us make man in our own image. Male and female, he created them. This is the destiny of humankind. And the reversal of Adam's sin and transgression. Behold the man. Adam, after his sin, went into hiding. Jesus, before our redemption, is displayed for all the world to see. Behold the man. And what that man is doing in all of his bloody brokenness is showing us who God is and how much God loves us. Bishop N.T. Wright says, look at this man and you'll see your living, loving, bruised and bleeding God. Lord, why is there sin in the world? Why is there evil? Why is there pain? How long do you understand? And he says, behold the man. I know all of it. I've experienced all of it. I'm making all things new. And Pilate's show and tell continues because the crowd is not satisfied with a bleeding, broken Jesus. They want him dead. And so Pilate says, behold your king. And he steps into a trap. Because the rule then, like the rule now, is there's only one king at a time. And they say, oh, we have one of those. It's Caesar. And Pilate can't very well go against that. He says, very well, crucify him. But as he does, <laughs> make a sign. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, and write it in every major language of the known world and put it over his head so that everyone will know who this is. Behold, adore, look, pay attention. There's a sign of his glory. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Humankind, par excellence, the King of the Jews, the King of the world, dying for us and for our salvation. It's all painfully public because that's the whole point of crucifixion for it to be seen 
Rather than quick and painless, Roman executions were intentionally slow, full of pain, spectacle and show designed to maximize suffering, to eviscerate the dignity of the individual. Uh, Romans, friends, they were professional butchers, but there's a method to their madness. You see, if you wanted to simply kill someone, you would cut off their head. Give them poison. Drown them. Something quick, just get them out of the way. A crucifixion is not simply an execution. It's an execution with a message and a warning. Don't step out of line like this person did. Or here's what we'll do to you. And what we might have to do to your family. And here's where things are particularly strange. Is Rome is trying to send its ultimate final message. And God is sending a savior and sending his son. The message of Rome, we're in charge. We can and will do whatever we want. Again, crucifixion was so horrific. It's seldom spoken of or written about in the ancient world. You don't talk about crucifixion in polite company. Anyone who would have witnessed a crucifixion, and most people probably had at one point in their life, they would never have forgotten it. You didn't have to describe it in gory detail. It was unforgettable. And so each of the gospel writers are brief. They tell us what happened in succinct, staccato fashion. Here, John 19, verse 18. Maybe the most important thing that has ever happened in the world, apart from the resurrection, there they crucified him, period. End of sentence. As we said earlier, this mock coronation, this horrific execution, seen through the eyes of faith, is a glorious enthronement. Because Jesus doesn't, I mean, Jesus is silent almost the whole time, right? Through his trials, through everything that goes, through the scourging, he's pretty quiet. Like a lamb before its shears, he's silent. Now he's on the cross he starts barking orders. The king is in control. He has something to say. He he talks with the guys around him in Luke's gospel, extends forgiveness and salvation to one. He talks to the father. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It's a royal pardon from a condemned criminal. And then here in John is the last little time we get this little magic word, behold. He looks to Mary. He looks at the beloved disciple. Woman, behold your son. Behold your mother. He creates a new community, a new family, foreshadowing all of the new community and new family of the church, reminding us once and for all that we don't do this Christian thing on our own, but we do it in community together. No, on the cross, he is completely in charge. He's giving bounty to his people. He's extending royal pardon. He's attending to his affairs properly with this proclamation above his head, Jesus of Nazareth, King. Friends, the death of our Lord, especially in John's gospel, emphasizes his agency. 
time and time again. We heard the reading from Genesis. That young boy was clueless. It's a scary story. The suspense grows. Our reader's voice cracked and it should. This is not a clueless young boy. This is the father who has given his son and his son is in control of this moment. He has agency. So chapter 19, verse 30, after all they have done, he's going to choose the end. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. That makes sense. That's what happens at the end of creation, right? It is finished before he rests. He bowed his head. He gave up his spirit. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the man. Behold your King who mounts his tragic, glorious throne to take away the sins of the world for you and for me, for us and for our salvation. And so while it is very true to say that Jesus was killed, especially on Good Friday, it is equally true to say he gave up his life. A self-offering of love carrying out the plan of our triune God, purchasing our redemption, beginning the process of making all things new, freeing us from sin and the penalty of sin, stamping it is finished. Later, in John's gospel, the eagle, the evangelist says, let me tell you why I'm telling you all of this to make sure you don't miss it. John's kind. <laughs> now Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We're left to behold the finished work that we might believe, that we might have eternal life, receiving it as a gift, grace upon grace from his fullness. Dearly beloved in Christ, believe tonight. Weep, if need be, at the evil our sins have caused, but rejoice in the glory of the Lamb, our King, our Savior, our Redeemer, let me close with this. I have a, a, a friend who writes music and his lyrics are from a friend of ours who is a priest who's now with the Lord. He would write these prayers as poems and this artist would take them and make songs out of them. They're, they're beautiful. Here's his song, his prayer for Good Friday. Day of shadows, blood, tears and sorrows on this day is beauty torn asunder, glory marred with whips, thorns and nails, foulest darkness covers beauty's wonder. But he doesn't leave it there. <laughs> he ends it this way. Purest Jesus, you held us to the end. Truest Jesus, 
You taught us to the end. Strongest Jesus, you bore us to the end. Dearest Jesus, you loved us to the end. It is finished. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you because by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world.